Welcome to the Inspired Women Podcast. I am your host, Megan Hall, psychology grad student, spouse, mom, and advocate for change. On this podcast, I provide a space for women to share their stories. Warning, sometimes we chat about taboo topics and drop some F-bombs. Thank you for tuning in with me today and enjoy the episode. Today, I'm here with Lindsay. Lindsay McDonald is a renowned speaker, sought after cancer coach, and celebrated author. She's had a successful 24 year career as the owner of a nationally recognized interior design firm. Wow, 24 years. That's amazing. Congratulations. <laughs> I retired. You retired? Oh, you know, someday goals, uh, but I haven't even started my career yet. I'm going to school for psychology and I want to be a professor. So I'm 36. By the time I'd get done a PhD, I would be in my 40s. So retirement will be much later in life. So, but it's okay. I love teaching. I love learning. I'm a lifelong learner. So it's going to work for me. It'll be nice. So then diagnosed with cancer, confined to a wheelchair and told she only had three months to live, Lindsay courageously changed the course of her future and has gone on to thrive through eight years of cancer. Whoa, eight years. That's crazy. Today, nine, nine. Whoa, that's, I don't think I've had somebody talk about it for that long. Uh, So today, Lindsay is a powerful cancer coach and voice for the revolution of cancer patient care. Lindsay's best-selling book is called Your Dance with Cancer, Steps to Maximize Your Chance of Survival. Well, Lindsay, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So when you applied, and of course, via your bio, uh, we're here to talk about your cancer journey. I'd love for you to start us out like when you found out, how'd you feel? What what was going on in that moment in time? So I'd been expecting it. My family had a huge uh, history with cancer. Mm -hmm. Uh, All of my grandparents, the people above them, the great grandparents, it was everybody had cancer. I thought I might get away with not getting it because my mother didn't, but that wasn't to be. So I had a lump. I went to the doctor. I went to the mammogram. They didn't find anything. A year later, I did it again. And then they said, nope. And I said, yep, really? And I went to the gynecologist and he sent me to the uh, breast surgeon who found out I had three tumors, one wow. of them the size of an egg. How did they miss that? I have dense breasts. You know, there's always this thing about dense breasts. Apparently it's true. Wow. I didn't even think about it. How do you know if you have dense breasts? How, how, like, it's when they do the mammogram, they see that you have dense breasts? Yeah. The first mammogram will tell you that. Gotcha. But it's actually, because if you do then you do need to take extra caution because they don't see it. Yeah, that's good to know. I think I start in like four-ish years getting mammograms. Um, I'll be 40. Is it 40 that you start getting mammograms? I think so. 
Yeah. I know my doctor said I needed to start at 40 because my grandmother had breast cancer, but she had it like later on in life. So they didn't want me. They, she said, there's no need for me to start super early, but like I should start like when I turn 40. You just have to make sure that if you feel anything that you follow up as opposed to having them follow up because they missed it. Yeah. And it's good that you advocated for yourself because some people wouldn't and then it would get drastically worse. So what happened after that, after you discovered? So I went through a double mastectomy. I went through chemo. I went through radiation and everybody thought everything was okay. And then it wasn't. I had a reoccurrence a year later, and now it was everywhere. Now it was metastatic. So metastatic means that the original site has now progressed to like your bones and your liver. I had it everywhere. So we had to very quickly figure out a plan B. Wow. What is what is plan B at that point? Like, how do you not give up on life and be like, it's over for me. No, I never gave up on life. That wasn't how I approached cancer. Mm -hmm. I really approached it as this is a project. I've done a lot of projects in my life and I'm just going to make this one a project. So I didn't get hugely caught up in the fear component. I had done a lot of work prior in self-knowledge, mm-hmm. I didn't really have to do as much as somebody else who might feel like a victim to this disease. I, there was no way that I was going to feel like a victim to this disease. And, you know, it's actually the reason I named my book, Your Dance with Cancer, is the battling uh, metaphor that everybody uses for cancer That was not going to get me anywhere. And there's always a loser. And God forbid, even if I did lose this journey, if they said she lost her battle to cancer, I would literally roll over in my grave and maybe come Mm -hmm. out in the middle of the night. (laughs) You're going to be out there haunting people. (laughs) So then I... um, we changed the medicines. That didn't work. Actually, there in in a month and a half, I went from having it in my skull and my eye socket and my scalpula to having it in every vertebrae, my liver, my lungs, um, my hip. I mean, it's just, it was unbelievable the way it was taking over. So I actually chose to go to Vienna, Austria. Wow. Some some sort of cutting edge treatments there. And lo and behold, he was able to get me to stable. And yes, I've had a couple of reoccurrences over the years. Today, I live full of cancer, but it's stable. It's not progressing. And that's been the case for about four years. I've never heard of that before, honestly. Um, In my head, if it like spread to everything, that means you're going to die immediately. So like this is, this is um, different news for me. I'm learning something here. (laughs) But it's really true. 
I mean, th- this is part of our society is that we think that cancer can be a death sentence. There's also a very different way to live with it. And that is when I dance with it, there are plenty of times that we have to learn new steps together. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll have a reoccurrence or it will start progressing. Um, and we have to figure out something different to do. But as far as I'm concerned, because it's metastatic, I also have leukemia, which I wow. got from treatment. Um, because it's those things, I'll have this for the rest of my life, whatever right. that may be. And so I figured I better learn to accept it. I love your outlook. So there is some research that shows that uh, positive outlooks when it comes to cancer actually can be really beneficial. And uh, women who have a more positive outlook when um, when they have cancer are more likely to like, quote unquote, survive. And, and I was the, so as my oncologist says, I'm the 0.00 one percent of people that would have survived what I've been through and I'll take it and a good portion of it is my mindset Mm -hmm. it really does make a I'm in um psycho I was I've taken a bunch of different uh psychology health classes we at the university I'm going to one of the majors you can have is health psychology I'm in general psychology so it's fun because I can take whatever I want at the university when it comes to the graduate level but the health psychology uh, we've learned a lot about cancer in each one I took psychology women's health health psychology now I'm in psychology of stress and we talk about these things and over and over and over you hear is like outlook makes a big difference. Social support makes a difference. All these things, these really positive things in your life can make a huge difference. Well, these are the seven healing practices, things like that, uh, exercise, uh, community support, positive yeah. outlook. There's a, they're in my book. Um, and it's really a form of integrative oncology. Yeah. That's where we, we make the shift to looking at the other things that will help your body and your mind get to an, a, a more optimal level so that our immune system is not so affected by stress. Yeah. And we maintain our power and also our cells power. I'm also a cancer coach. I mean, that's the reason yeah. that changed my life. It's my mission. And really a lot of what we're talking about is what I talk to people about. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. What made you go to Vienna? Was it because we didn't have the treatment here in the United States? Was it because you didn't want to go through the normal chemo that we have, which is terrible for people? You got to understand they're literally injecting poison into your body. Uh, so tell me, like, what made you go to Vienna? Um. So by the way, I don't look at it as poison. It actually okay. saved my life. Right. So, um, and and if I were to look at it like poison, that would take my positivity down gotcha. quite a bit. So this was just a medicine. I had very severe cancer. It wasn't going to be cured by not eating sugar or any right. of the alternative things. So sometimes you just have to say, okay, this is what's going to help. Um, 
And for me, that journey, even though I was with the most powerful chemo, I survived it. You know, I didn't love losing my hair, but I wasn't vomiting. I wasn't crazy, crazy exhausted. I survived. So I think it's good for people to know that there's a different way to look at that particular statement. But anyway, the reason I went to Vienna is, so as I started this whole cancer diagnosis and path, I realized I was not at all happy with the way that doctors treated patients. They treated the disease and not the human. And that, to me, cut out half of the effect that they could do, half of the way of supporting people. And it would not make their treatment more effective if they didn't treat the human as well. So I wanted to open a complementary clinic, which means things that support you while you're doing the conventional Mm. care. And I worked with a woman for a long time. We actually were picked up by Kellogg at Northwestern as a project. And um, I went to a lot of seminars. And in that one of those seminars, I heard about this place in Vienna. And when my cancer reoccurred again and nothing was working here, that's when I said, I got to go. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, I I gotcha. Even my oncologist, when I went, my uh, Chicago oncologist, you know, they, they usually don't tell you, yes, go to Vienna. Let's go try this. Right. Nothing was working and and it was very clear. I mean, I was in a wheelchair at that point. I was dying. Yeah. And so she said, go and I hope it works. Right. And I, I love that you stress the integrated care because I feel like that's missing a lot. So one of the big things for me has been the PCM I have. She takes time to listen to me. She doesn't dismiss me. She'll sit there and talk to me and listen to me as long as it takes for her to really understand what's going on with me. And um, I have bipolar disorder, so I've dealt with some reactions that aren't super positive from even from mental health providers. And um, so having her not be discriminatory and being understanding, it makes big difference in how I view my care. Versus like, I used to be like, I don't want to go to the doctor because they're just going to be dismissive and they're not going to give me the tests I want, despite how much I say I want it. My doctor's like, you want a referral for this? (laughs) Yes, please. It's true. And it's not just, it's how you feel your care. You know, that's really when you've got somebody that is willing to look at you as the, as a human and connect with you, you check off a lot of boxes. You mm-hmm. actually, it's part of your community. It's part of your support. It's part of your feeling safe in your treatment. And all of those things take down the stress. Yeah. And when you take down the stress, you have a, a better body terrain because stress will really damage your cells very much. 
Yes. Yes. I'm in a psychology of stress class. So we're learning all about it. Uh, but uh, when it comes to this, do you have any, any advice for people who come across like a, a you know, a, a doctor of anything, like whether it is an oncologist or your PCM, who's very dismissive of them and not taking them serious. Like you said, you have dense breast tissue. You had to advocate. How'd you go about that? All right. Well, there's a couple of things here. First of all, you need to learn as much as you can about what you're dealing with so that when you're talking to doctors, you can have, if it's not an equal conversation, it's close to it so that they know you've done your work as well. Secondly, if you cannot find a doctor that can get beyond their ego, you got to find another doctor. Mm-hmm. A lot of them, when you go in and you're not angry and you're willing to have them on your team as you both deal with this project, it changes the way that they see you. Mm-hmm. And that's what you need to 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 put your money on. And again, if you can't have a doctor that can get beyond their ego, then you do need to switch because that particular person is going to be huge in this. Yeah. That, that makes total sense. And I think a lot of times we feel like they're the ones that have the power and in control, you know? It's not true. I mean, it is to some degree, certainly at the beginning, but the more you learn about everything that this, whatever it is, you're carrying, the the conversation changes with the doctor. Mm-hmm. And it you're you become working together i was as i said i was an interior designer for 24 years and people used to say how did you know how to make a beautiful space for that for them and i said it was with them it wasn't mm-hmm. for for them and we worked together on the project because i respected and wanted to learn about mm-hmm. what made them feel whole in their homes. And yeah. that shift of going from, what's the right word? I don't even know. In a doctor's world, it's doctor-patient. There's a shift of becoming more equal. Yeah, yeah. Um, so in therapy, I'm not going to be a therapist, by the way. I'm not going to psychology be a therapist that's beyond my capabilities. I'm very honest about that. I just don't have the capacity to hold space in that manner, but I'm going for more social psychology. But in the therapy world, they're shifting their verbiage to client instead of saying patient, because client makes it sound more like we're working on this together versus patients makes it sound like you are, are super ill, right? And you actually have to work on it together. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. They are not in your body. So really, our job is to let them know what's going on and also to to do to work very hard to keep anger out of the conversation or even panic. Mm-hmm. Because both of those things 
I think, make a doctor fairly rigid mm-hmm. in their in the way they want to deal with you. People when they're sitting in that uh, waiting room, and sometimes the doctors are running way behind. Yeah, and people take it personally, and they mm-hmm. get angrier and angrier. I always tell people when they're going to any type of doctor, mark it off for the day. Because the reason that people are running late is because they are taking time mm-hmm. with their the previous people who need the time. Just like if you needed the time, you don't want the doctor saying, well, I've got my 15 minutes. Let's talk about this. See ya. Right. And not having another place to go or bringing something with you that will, will keep you calm and you can play with, whether it's your phone or a book know that they're really actually doing their best. It's not about you. It's not about that they scheduled too many patients. Mm -hmm. It's about the fact that somebody needed more help. Yeah. And sometimes it's really emergent. You don't know what's going on in other people's lives. So when I was pregnant with my twins and the day that they, the, the day before they came, we found out I had a lot going on. I was, I had preeclampsia. And of course, like the doctors were taking much more time with me than they normally would because I'm literally could be dying and I'm not being exaggerating there. Uh, They found out one of my, I think my kidneys, it was, were shutting down on me. And so they had to take the babies like immediately. And I remember I had to have C-section. I had C-section. I I don't want to say I had to have C-sections with all my kids now knowing what I know. I really didn't, but I didn't know that. Right. Should have had that that knowledge and information they've come out with a lot more research that like c-sections are overused and there's a lot of times that you don't actually require one and if the doctors go about it the right way you won't require one but that's neither here or there uh so i remember sitting on the operating table and they're getting ready to inject me with like the numbing stuff and there was this woman and they had these monitors and they were paying attention to this woman that was already in labor right and it was getting complicated and because it's in the middle of the night they don't want to take up the or they won't want to take up the emergency or with one of us because what if there's an emergency that comes in and now you don't have it and so i'm sitting there and they're very apologetic and they're like we're so sorry we're waiting we're waiting to see what happens this woman we might have to delay you it's not like i had to have it done right there. I needed to have it done soon, but not immediately. And so I was like, they were, I was just really understanding. And I think they were braced that I was going to be angry and abrasive, but really I was like, this woman is in a lot more danger than I am right now. And so I think, yeah. So I think if we approach it like that, instead of like saying, oh, well, my time, my time, my time, if we think there's somebody who might be in more of emergency than I am. And it's good to know that your doctor will take care of them. Because yeah. if it was you, you would want the same treatment. I have twin boys also. Ah, oh, minor boy girl. Yeah. Um, they were my last ones. We went for one and got two. So <laughs> it was a two for one deal. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, a lot of work. A minor 11 right now. Uh, and they're hitting those preteen years. Uh, my my two older girls are older. So I've already gone through the preteens with them. So yeah, it's it's been a, a heck of a journey right now where I'm just like, all right, I've done this before. I can get through this. <laughs> it's good. I loved having twins. 
Yeah, but I can totally see what you're talking about with like being patient and not yelling at them and not being angry because you really do want the treatment that you deserve. And they don't want to be yelled at. Yeah. The the reality is you're going to have to keep going back to a lot of these people. You know, you'd rather not have it in your notes that she's difficult. Right. And it's not even that. It's knowing that the reason it's happening has nothing to do with circumstances that they could control. Mm -hmm. It was because other people needed a little more time. That and sometimes people are late for their appointments, which makes everybody else late. Absolutely. (laughs) Imagine if you have three patients in a row and they're all late and now like that has shoved it back, you know, quite a bit of time. And so we really just have to be mindful that we don't know the circumstances and they're doing, the doctors are doing the best they can. Now, obviously, if you're having repeated issues with the doctor, then maybe it's time to like switch. But chances are like, if this is not like a, you know, a rate, like it's not happening every single time you go, give them some grace. Exactly. Yes. So where are you at now? How, how are how is treatment going? What is going on right now? People might be thinking like, wow, you're still living with it. How are you still living with it? How are you still doing your dance? Okay. (laughs) um, uh, About four years ago, I had another reoccurrence and uh, like more progression. I've never been in remission or no evidence of disease or anything. And they found so there's a mutation out there, the BRCA1 and 2, yep. which are sort of very famous, and they are cancer predictors. They had never found that on me. Wow. When they did the biopsy of the new progression in the tumor was a BRCA2 mutation. So it's called a somatic mutation because it's not in my germline, which is like my bloodline. Yeah. And um, so we changed treatment there. And then we, I got the leukemia at the same time and I started that drug. So between the drug for the BRCA2 mutation and the leukemia drug, it's key, it's been keeping me fairly stable uh, the last four years or so. Eventually one of them's going to, wear out but right the we're great they I, should have worn out two years ago but they didn't right. i mean i love your attitude about this i really do um this is amazing that you have that such a positive attitude and such a such an approach right your dance you know you saying it's a dance instead of saying like you know having the victim mindset and struggling with it it's it's amazing and i think people could learn i mean you have a book they can purchase the book which i'll link in the (laughs) plug uh they can they can purchase it i'll link it up in the show notes but like that you have approached it in such a manner that you are still here right and i feel like i i'm sure you agree is like how you've approached it is a big reason that you're still here. Absolutely. And also what it did, which was the best thing, is all of the sudden I felt it in my bones. This was my mission to go out there and help other people learn about this 
and support them and help them find their power right. to continue on with this and to teach them how to do it. And so a couple of years ago, I stopped designing um, and I had a, a tremendous career in interior design, but this is absolutely my mission. And every time that I do a podcast or I coach a client or I do one of the volunteer things I do in the cancer world, I literally am being nourished. Yeah. And that keeps just, it's like being, it's like a gas tank. You know, I keep getting refilled every time I have any of these things and it's gorgeous. See, it's my theory. Um, I was an entrepreneur at one point in time. Um, so this is like a personal theory that most, not all, most entrepreneurs start their business uh, because of something they've been through. And I always say like, this is not a business podcast, but find that personal story. And we can chat about that all day long. Now I know people are going to mention, like, obviously you're not going to pretend you're not a coach, right? That's not going to be something you pretend. You're not going to pretend you didn't write this book, but that's not the focus. And I'm like, if only most of the entrepreneurs that, that pitch me could just come from that, we could have such a better conversation. <laughs> What you're talking about is really the veneer that we put around ourselves. Mm -hmm. And a good portion of people do not know who they are. They mm -hmm. know how to do things and, you know, human doing instead of a human being. So very often they can't tell you that story. Mm -hmm because they don't know what the story was that drove them to it. And it also, if they were ever to get to the heart of it, it may change the way they do things. So many people, they create a life because of how they want people to see them. Mm -hmm. It's a very, very different experience. Any chronic disease is going to take that veneer away from you. And you're going to be faced with yourself. And from there, though, you can create an amazing life because now it's yours as yes. opposed to how you want other people to see it. I feel like in the six years of the podcast, we're in our seventh season, that it has shifted from that, for me personally, shifted from that veneer to the human being approach, because now I'm more like I infuse the podcast with me and sharing personal things and not, and not scripting questions and being like, let's have a conversation. And I feel like that makes people so comfortable. Um, I've had people say like, this is my first podcast interview. I'm like, don't worry. It's not even going to seem like what we're, we're just having a good time here. But the approach, I see what you're talking about. The approach changed because I changed, I like dropped that I need to look a certain way and embrace this is who I am. Exactly. And from that, you start to glow mm -hmm. and people see it and they feel safe because what they're getting is you. Yeah. And it's, this is really, so I'm not only a cancer coach, I'm a motivational coach. Yeah. Um, so much of it, what I do is bring people back to who they are. 
Yeah. I, I was once a coach as well. Um, I realized that, uh, and speaker, I realized that, uh, entrepreneurship wasn't for me. I needed a boss. It's not for everybody. Right. Um, but the, your approach, you talking about like having people get in touch with themselves, it's so important on how you approach life, right? Because you're going to feel, make people feel more comfortable. I'm sure you make your clients feel really comfortable because you are you. Exactly. And also when they get back to themselves, the world is much easier. It's much more relaxed. It's not exhausting because you're not having to do something. You're just being, and it it changes your whole outlook. Would you say you had this outlook prior to cancer or the cancer made you like drop that veneer and that's where the outlook came from? Somewhere before cancer, I was already halfway there. But then this is actually an interesting story. So when I got cancer, I was still in the mindset of I can do anything. That was how I had evolved. Mm -hmm. I was the woman who could do anything. And um, the cancer came. We thought we got it all done. See, I'm the person that can do anything. And then it came back. And then my entire identity was shaken because if I was the person that could do anything, why didn't cancer understand that? Yeah. I had to, I remember saying to somebody, um, you know, all of these tools I've used my whole life to be successful. She said, you're going to have to dig deeper in the tool bag. And that's when the final piece kicked in. Although the cancer diagnosis is is a terrible thing and that you're still living with, I feel like it gave you a gift. It did. It absolutely, first of all, it gave me a mission. Mm -hmm. And that mission, I, I can't explain how much I just live every day with that in mind. It, it spurs me into this beautiful life that I'm living um, even though I was, I loved my design business. This is a whole nother level. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I can, I can relate that to that too. It's like, they say, follow the, one of my previous podcast guests many, many years ago, probably in the first or second year of the podcast said it's following the breadcrumbs. So you followed the breadcrumbs right. to where you are. That's right. And also for me, I really focus on micro joys. Mm -hmm. So no matter what I'm doing, I mean, here in front of you, I have my cup of coffee, which is the size of a small measuring cup. It's big. (laughs) And, but I love my cup. I surround my life with everything that I love. So I'm living in this environment that is set up for me. Mm-hmm. And in that, it's like having the right soil for a particular plant to grow in. Ironically, I just changed one of my plants from a small little um, pot to a bigger pot because it seemed sad. And I was like, you have outgrown this. It is time for you to be able to grow exactly. bigger. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Now it looks more happy. <laughs> and you know, the other thing is, unfortunately, somewhere in our lives, 
we get sort of taken down, you know, mm-hmm. it's so it's really okay to be who you are and start to build it back up just because somebody else said something. It doesn't, they are not you and they come it from, from it. They come to it from wherever they were. But when you really start to know your value, the world changes. I just, I I cannot say this enough. I love your perspective. I really do. It's such a positive perspective. And we talk about some tough stuff on this podcast. We've talked about like assaults, mental illness, like you drugs, you know, like drug addiction, like alcohol addiction. We have talked, uh, we've run the gamut on things, right? But my favorite, and most of them are like this, is like this very like positive perspective. I've gone through this thing, but it has given me this gift to be able to share with other people. And it's true. Yes. Well, as we wrap up the podcast today, what would you like to leave the Inspired Women audience with? Don't be afraid of yourself. Get to know who you are. And then from there, learn your value. And when you're, let's bring it back to the cancer world. When you're talking to whoever it is you're talking to, your doctors, your support system, know that it's okay to have learned about it and to be equal to them and to show them who you are. Yes. Yes. I I feel like that humanizes the experience when you can say, this is who I am. This is what I'm about. Let's do this. Exactly. And that's exactly, exactly how I approached it with my doctors. And not only that, because of that, I have great friends in my doctors and that changes things as well. Yes. I, you know, like I've said, I've had some not so positive experiences with doctors, but I've had some really, really good ones, right? My PCM now, but also when I was pregnant with the twins, um, she was, she was phenomenal and she was really apologetic because of the emergency situation I was in. She couldn't be there for the delivery, which is fine. She had a little person. I understand your two, yours too. He's like, I'm going, I'm going to Australia on May 2nd. But you're not due till June 6th, so no worries. I'm like, I guarantee I'm having those babies on May 2nd. Yeah. Mine were five and a half weeks premature. So she wasn't expecting me to go, right? And and she had a young son and she was a, a, a single mom and she's in the military. And so she didn't immediately have somebody. I mean, I don't think she had been in the area for super long. It takes a while to, you know, make those connections and have that support. But she was, she came the very next day and checked on me. Awesome. And that's how we we were in Australia. (laughs) (laughs) Calling you from Australia. How are you doing right now? (laughs) No, and that's how we found out I was being overdosed on magnesium. So that was a fun time. If anybody's ever wondering how it feels like, it feels like you had a stroke because you can't, your words are slurring. You can't move your body correctly. It was, it was wild between her and my spouse. They were like, listen, 
something's wrong here. Like you need to fix it. And that's one of the nurses comes in and goes, oh, we've been giving you a little too much magnesium. And I was like, oh, a little too much. What? <laughs> yeah, but she was phenomenal. And so I've had these doctors throughout my lifetime who have been phenomenal and not dismissive. And so I know that is, there's hope out there. There is, and you can't be scared to find it. Yes. Well, Lindsay, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. You're welcome. I had thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you for being a part of the Inspired Women audience. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating review. And don't forget to share this out with somebody who could use some inspiration today. Tag us at Inspired Women Podcast, both on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great day.